No Simple Road is stoked to have Sunset Lake CBD back with us as our sponsor. Sunset Lake is the real deal. If you've looked around trying to find CBD and it just didn't do what it was supposed to do, this is the place you need to go. They've got every kind of product you can imagine, including CBD tinctures with sleep gummies that are great for getting to bed, CBD gummy bears and reishi infused chews that can help bring you a little bit of calm in a stressful day. They've got salve. They've got smokable hemp flower that's great for folks like me that don't want to get stoned and paranoid, but want to have the benefits of cannabis. Well, now you got it. And they even carry CBD products for your pets, man. I'm saying this is Darwin approved stuff. Go over to sunsetlakecbd.com and check out the full range of what they have. This is Vermont grown right to your door and they're giving you 20% off. So put in the promo code NSR20 when you're checking out. You're going to get 20% off your whole order. And I know you're going to love it. They even have subscription options open for you. So you don't forget to get your medicine. Go check out Sunset Lake CBD, everybody. Hey, everyone. Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters here to let you know that my podcast Inside the Musician's Brain is back on the airwaves for season four, which means it's time once again to get deep with influential musicians from all across the musical landscape to really understand and translate the lessons of success, failure, inspiration and hard work that are behind the music and the artists that we love. My guests this season include Rachel Price from Lake Street Dives, Sam Bush, Chris Wood, Chris Funk from The Decemberists, Lindsay Liu, MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger, and more. Check us out, and thanks for listening. We're so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They are a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Music Masters Collective events give you the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Otil Burbridge, Steve Earle, Richard Thompson, former members of the band, the Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, the Fab Foe, and Sean Colvin, and so many more. At an event like the Milk Carton Kids Sad Song Summer Camp, happening this July, you can expect immersive classes, evenings of entertainment, excellent food, and a space for a lucky group of folks to learn, co-write, workshop, and perform with like-minded peers, all with the guidance of Kenneth Pattengale, Joey Ryan, and some of their favorite songwriters. This all-inclusive week in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available and spots are extremely limited. So visit www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple to learn more. That's www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple. Check it out.
This is Are we really back. No we're back. week. We, I think. Am I recording? Is this thing? We're on? back for more excitement and fun and things. Yep. It's on. We're back. Yep. We are confirmed that we are recording. <laughs> you are hearing us now. Hello. Hello. Lift off. Good job, conductor. Hey, now. No simple road family. Hey now. What's up? Welcome back. This is Aaron. This is Mel. And this is Apple. And Darwin. Thanks for joining us midweek. Yeah. Welcome to the middle of the week or, or the end. Oh, yeah. It depends you know on what? when I get to this. Whenever. It comes Whenever. To when. Thanks for joining us twice Thank this week. Thank you for week. joining us this day. Yeah. <laughs> we. I think we did this last time, this bit. Yep. It, it ends yeah. in Y and here we are. And time is irrelevant these days. It really is. It, it, is it always has been. and malleable and it, the weirdness of time the strangeness of elasticity that's the word i was looking for has been underscored by the last year Mm -hmm. i I don't know about you but well for you guys it isn't like this mostly because you still go to work but working from home weekends and the end of the workday have no meaning anymore like getting off of work was kind of a rush when I worked in an office because they like, want to get home. Yeah. Like you would look at your watch and it would be like 10 minutes before you're like, okay, I get to drive home in 10 minutes. I'm yeah. off work. I'm going to sneak, it was something I'm gonna sneak out five minutes early look today. Forward to, yeah. yeah. And, and now it's like, well, I guess this is the end of the day now and I'm going to walk out of this room into the other room mm-hmm. and then I'm done. Well, and this room's also where you do all the editing yeah. and we do the podcasts at the, the multi-purpose room yeah the studio uh yeah so the the workroom elasticity of time has been underscored by that and it's very difficult in that headspace to keep track of the days of the week yeah i would imagine so (laughs) he's i'm sure he does you too many times he's around the porch having coffee like see you tonight dude and he's like what day is it he was thinking it was thursday when it was every thursday i think it's friday (laughs) like it's Crazy. That's weird. That's like a weird alternate universe to kind of be in. You're kind of on my schedule, but not. Right. <laughs> and and like I was talking to my boss about this the other day. We just, I think it was a week ago, had our one year anniversary of working from home. And uh, he was like, dude, I was thinking to myself the other day, like, this is what I do now. Like, this is it forever. This is what I, wow. this is life. I work sit at my desk at home and then go to the couch like that's it that's a weird thing too i think we talked about this too because you were talking yeah we did talk about this like a lot of people thought that i did too it'd be like it'd be so cool to work from home yeah for sure when it when it was an option Mm -hmm. 
And now that it's not, it's like, no, you don't want, you know, it, it has its, okay. Please don't, all of you out there, yeah, don't, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I, I'm not complaining. And also I don't hate it. I don't, I'm just calling out some of the strangeness of it. Well, and you can still like something and have to deal with like unpleasant uh, feelings about it still, you know, it's tough. Nothing's all perfect. It's a, it's, it's an adjustment still a year into it. It's, I've found that it's more important than ever to move physically. Like, yeah, you're getting out more often than you were there for a while. Mm-hmm. You're pretty much kind of quarantined for a while. They're not going out. You'd have me grab you things or Mel, and now you're like, no, no, I, I'm gonna go do this. Specifically, wears on your mental health. Me, you, yeah, and I really believe it has to do with all the freaking electromagnetic bullshit that's around you all the time. Like you're literally in a room with electronics surrounding you, and then when you go outside or whatever, back away from all of this, you're on your phone. And so there's no judgment, nothing. It's, it's just reality. And so if you're going back into the house and then out, just outside of our door inside, you're not seeing anything fresh. And I really, I just know like being out in nature, even just like doing the yard work the other day, like energized me in a different kind of a way that you don't get. You, you and I had to talk about the, wait a minute. Remember what we're talking about right now. Okay, hang on to this. You guys, this is the perfect conversation for who we have as a guest this week. This week is Rich Simpson. He is the author of a book called The Conspiracy Diaries. It's out now on Amazon. You can go to Amazon and pick the book up. Give it a read. It's amazing. Um, Rich has a very long history and pedigree in... um, alternate thinking i'm not going to say conspiracy theory because well but he has a conspiracy book but 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 <laughs> that's in the title that has such a negative connotation now i know that word and that is not what this cat is about it always has this guy is about um he's lived this thing and has seen a thread that has gone through and he this isn't a book of theory this is a diary of his life and what he has witnessed. So it's very different than calling it conspiracy theory stuff. It's not that. I, this is No Simple Road is not a political show. And so that's not what we're bringing you. This gentleman is very steeped in the psychedelic community um, and has a long history with, I don't even know how to say it right, man. Like, seeing things from a different perspective and the conversation that we had with rich was very eye-opening and yeah. uh, thought-provoking in a lot of ways and and there's some <clears throat> even if you don't agree with everything that he says there do is do we ever agree with no. anything everybody says you know oh, man but sometimes it's good to hear alternate points of view to give you food for thought it's always good as a practice just so that you can have that in your brain that ability to decipher between things you know if you only see one thing all the time and i'm not even talking about views points i'm talking about if you only had one window to stare out and you have a 5000 square foot house but we only have one window that 
sucks in the long run. Well, and I mean, you might have a that, bitch in view. And you're going to think that what's out that window is the only thing that's yeah. out there. Then that was with conspiracy. Conspiracy, everything has been put under that to people that don't want to ask questions and think outside the box and like that. If you had one window to look at and somebody came and told you how awesome the other side of the house was, that'd be conspiracy. No, you're full you know of what shit. I mean? Yeah, I can like, see like, right no, now. I'm looking out. I'm looking at my one way of seeing And it's things. a beautiful view. Yeah. There's a bridge yeah, and there's the moon and yeah. Yeah, but the beach is on the other side. Yeah. No, it's not. But yeah. yeah, so my point is, even if you don't agree with everything that, that Rich has to say, just keep an open mind and listen, hear, what he, hear where he's coming from, man, and maybe you can put your point of view together with his point of view and come up with a completely new perspective that you never would have thought of that might ring true in, in your solar plexus area, in your gut. That's you know? what usually happens when I hear stuff like this. I listen to mm-hmm. it and some whatever stuff that really sticks out it definitely goes against the things that I've read or heard or we've talked about. And then it gives me a a sparks new ideas or a new thought or puts to rest something that it has been kind of untied for me. Yeah. And, and I think for me in, cause we kind of listened back just before we did the intro, we listened back to the interview because we did this just before Before Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. And, uh, we wanted to get reacquainted with the conversation that we had, but the, one of the biggest things that stands out for me with this one is moving past the frequency of fear. Yes. Getting out of that frequency of fear, detaching from it and finding love again. And I think that right now is more important than ever in the journey of 2020 slash 2021. If you look at it as a whole one big trip, the point of the trip that we're on right now is super important to focus on that because it not only is it springtime right now, it's renewal time. The earth is waking back up. That means that the vibratory field of the planet that we live on is starting to wake up and change. And we're all connected to that thing. And so we have to connect back to that frequency of love, stay out of that frequency of fear so that we can be more in sync with our mother and she can take us where we need to go as a, as a collective consciousness. And so if we're consistently vibing in fear, we're not going to be connected to that thing and we're going to miss opportunity and, and the beautiful things that are getting ready to open up, you know, spring is, is the time of, of buds opening and, things growing and fruiting and renewing. And so we aren't separate from that, you know, as human beings, I think there's a misconception that we have that we're separated from the change of the seasons and the flow of life on the planet, but we are in it just as if we were in swimming in an ocean and and saying we're not wet. That's not true. So let's, let's stay out of that. And I think that is one of the biggest messages I got out of, um, out of talking to rich was that right there. Um, but we were talking about not leaving the house and you're right. I'm in here. I'm surrounded by EMF all day and, uh, and then go outside and, and am on my phone. And what I started doing is leaving my phone in here when I go outside during the day. Um, and just like walking up, we have a little like, I can't even really call it a nature path, but a little little forest path behind the house and I'll go up there and have a smoke 
just so I'm surrounded by the trees for a little while and like around dirt and bark and did leaves. you see that I like cleaned all yeah there's of no it dog shit up there yeah it's awesome um, <laughs> because it's the perfect little ritual space mm-hmm. you know like perfect it's got like this it's flat like a grove yeah there's a little grotto in there mm-hmm. you know and so I cleaned everything up and um, yeah I'm excited for my next days off so that I can finish my project my outdoor project it's dope up there yeah so i started doing that just like to disconnect from the field for a little while yeah unplug from the matrix well you can see it like when people don't spend time in nature their their skin looks a certain kind of green yeah sallow and just uh, like not fresh you know it needs to be like slapped and manipulated <laughs> and it does to potent and <laughs> mother nature yeah. slap you. yes gets we all need a good slap from mother nature every once in a while <laughs> what that's i mean it's true every once in a while her, we call her mother nature one of the only people that can get away with slapping you <laughs> is your, mother, <laughs> your mom your mother you know it's and because she she's it, not a most, person <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times you deserved it if your mother's slapping you I think. <laughs> you know it, it, i know what you're talking about that that like drawn you get like kind of like circles under sunk your eyes in. sunk in and it's like um did you ever see the dark crystal no apple i'm gonna be you're with me that. on this yeah, right yeah, yeah, yes. i'll be you shamed. remember the the pod people <laughs> Yeah. And the Skeksis would suck the essence out of the pod people. Yeah. And they sad. would turn into little raisin. And it was dark. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's what it feels like. Like that. Like you've just had your essence sucked out. And then you go yeah. out into the woods or go touch the ocean or whatever. And you get that essence back. Because as I said a few minutes ago, we're part of that thing. And you stay disconnected from it for too long. And you like, you lose your mojo a little bit. I was um, on wisdomkeepers.net or dot, no, dot earth, wisdomkeepers.earth. And I was watching. Is that Jeff? Yeah. Okay. um, That is, uh, Jeff is part of that um, organization. And they went to Glastonbury in 2019 and did opening ceremonies with elders from. At the festival. At the festival from all over the world um indigenous you know um ceremonies from and you know it was so powerful and so strong and so crazy that they that's what they're doing so we've been talking about that so um Glaston, Glast, talk- glastonbury festival had a council of tribal indigenous people before the festival op- like do the opening no, I don't, ceremony? I don't know at what point it was, but I believe it was like opening ceremony for like one of the days or oh, multiple shit. days or I wasn't there. So I don't know. That's awesome. It doesn't like spell it out, but they have like a, like a little movie montage of what they did and um, talk to some of the elders and they kind of, they talked about why they were there and why they were doing this. And I don't want to talk about it because it was so powerful. I think everybody should. So where do they find it? Wisdomkeepers.earth. Okay. And if you, they also have an awesome uh, Oracle deck that I want to grab too. It's beautiful. Like the artwork on it is gorgeous. Um, You were going to say something about Jeff. Jeff Firewalker Schmidt. 
he um, is the one who's involved in this organization and you can catch him in the video also. And you can also there. catch him on No Simple Road. Catch him on No Simple Road in a previous episode. Yeah. Catch him also at St. Disruption. With John Modeski making incredible, earth-shaking, troublemaking music. Yeah. And uh, stay tuned for more with No Simple Road and Jeff and, yeah. and John and that whole St. Disruption crew and more to come. Stay tuned for that. But uh, yeah, so you guys. Anyway, I'm sorry. Because you, you were wrapping it up with the Wisdom Keepers. They were talking about one of the things that they were saying is that, that the reasons they were be called is because people have got, be got, gotten too disconnected from the earth. And the earth still um, speaks, but we don't listen. And it speaks in all of like in everything with the birds and in nature and in the trees and in the wind and all of those things, not Pocahontas kind of a way, but <laughs> really, Maybe. yeah, well, yes, <laughs> yes. And yes, <laughs> I guess yes yeah, and no, yeah. not, not Disney, but real. Um, but yeah, like it, even anybody who lives in a city, whether they stay indoors or they work outdoors or whatever, like the more disconnected, that's how much medicine we need from her. Like as much as we're away is how much more that we need her. So if it's 60%, you need 60%. That's 120. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. If, know if you saying. need 60% of mother nature, then you need to go get 60% of medicine. Mm, I got you. Yeah. It's, you know, like if you find wherever your time is, you know, like, if you're putting all your time in one spot, you need to allocate it to the other thing to help you get through it's, that. It's called balance. Know, balance. Yeah, man. I'm with Equilibrium. you. Equilibrium. Mm-hmm. And you can feel Fair it when, share. You, when you're out of it yeah. too. And what's weird about that, the it's kind of insidious because once you're in it, it's it becomes comf- uncomfortably comfortable to be in it like that. And, and getting out of it seems like so far away. What you, What's the it part? Just that like slog of being online and being plugged into the matrix and it's just, it becomes a uncomfortably comfortable. It's almost like dope in a lot of ways, mm. like a, like a heroin. You know, you feel like you're going to be missing out on something or something's going to happen. You're not going to see it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then w- when you put it down for a little while, you realize, wow, I, I can breathe and I feel better. You realize it is an addiction. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know what, man, it is what it is. And, and I'm not demonizing the internet or technology. It's all that's ourselves all and our relationships tool, to it, man. It's like saying a hammer is bad. No, <laughs> because you hit somebody with it. Yeah. <laughs> but it also we just, that house. We have to check our relationships with stuff. You know, if we're abusing it, then it's not the, it's fault. It's our abuse to it. You know, like we just have to bout like as much as we can, as much strength as we can muster, keep ourselves balanced so we're not always trying to scramble to the other side you know try to get gain our footing and i noticed with me like little steps are super important like start starting with two minutes difference and then you have a footing you know a foothold to like move from and then it's like well fuck it i'll 20 minutes. Okay. I'm going to start leaving my phone inside. Okay. I'm not going to use it for the first You're half good of the at day. Starting stuff like that though. Like <clears throat> new and like 
you're good with regimens. Yeah, yeah. Once I, once I get sick and tired, I'm good at it. And I have to get to a point where I'm like but disgusted with myself, <laughs> and, then, and then I'm like, okay, that's enough. Hey, whatever the method, you get there. <laughs> I, yeah, I do. So yeah, man, you guys. I don't want to, I'm not giving you directions on how to listen to the show, but <laughs> I'm giving you directions on how to listen to the show. Um, keep an open mind with this one, man. And just, just listen, hear, hear what Rich has to say. It's good information. And I know that it's, it's part of the thing that we've been talking about over the past few weeks of like bringing you guys some meat and, uh, yeah, this is food for thought for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I know Aaron just went into a whole thing about it, but think about this This is his diary like it's his life it's your his life like in my diary people may read stuff they don't like but it's still my life it happened it happened you know um as far as i (laughs) i mean maybe in here i i might make up some stuff but not you clearly know (laughs) (laughs) you know i do yeah just uh, yeah just like aaron said keep an open mind remember that we're interviewing somebody's life and and um, you know, getting his story out so everybody can have an opinion and a life. Yep. And Rich, thanks again, man, for coming on. Thank and you hit so me up. much. And uh, everybody and out there, fun. if you enjoy this, go check out The Conspiracy Diaries. Go on Amazon.com and it is available there in uh, book form and also in Kindle form. And you can pick that up and read the whole thing and it's amazing and it has some really, really cool information in there. And, um, yeah, we're going to do the business and get you to the interview, man. Awesome. Follow us on all the social media platforms at No Simple Road. No Simple Road. Go to 971-808-1524. Call us, 971-808-1524. Leave us a message. Tell us about your first experience seeing a UFO. Tell us that the time you went Bigfoot hunting and you found... um, tree bark that was scratched or that time you saw the unicorn fly away with the starship if you saw that i <laughs> share it you gotta share it. you gotta share that one um, it's not shit you keep to yourself no don't or just call in <laughs> give us your favorite recipe for biscuits or cake that sounds good yeah uh, you know and then we'll play it on the show and that's it's fun we get to know each other like that also go to www.nosimpleroad.com check out the um merch tab go get yourself a new t-shirt or a, a tank top for for springtime get yourself some stickers a new cup to bring to festivals for when they start happening or a fanny pack to put all your your fun trinkets and sacrament in for when you start going to shows again there's a little stash pouch in there it's pretty cool um what else guys what oh leave us a review on apple podcasts uh go in there and leave a five star we don't have any new reviews this week to read you guys because none no. of you did it but I, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll hear the sadness in my voice right now. Oh, oh my God, the guys are crying. Whoever you are, I please. Wish, I, well, I was so excited when I was looking. Oh, you should see how sad Apple looks right now. See, it's Aww. your fault. But thanks for last week, Tony. <laughs> Thank you, yeah, Tony. Tony. Woo-woo. Yeah, man, you guys go on Apple Podcasts. We'll ride on us. Tony's coattails. <laughs> for six months. Leave us a review over there. It helps the show. That's how other people find out about the show through the algorithm on Apple Podcasts. And it really, really helps us. And it doesn't cost you anything but a couple of minutes. If you believe in the message of No Simple Road and you want to help us continue to keep putting out the content that we've been bringing you, which is fucking amazing and I'm really proud of it, 
You help, should be. Help us keep doing that, you guys. We need your help. We are a small business. We have been affected by everything that's happened, and we need the family support. So patreon.com forward slash no simple road you can give as little as a buck a month you become a patron every month that dollar comes out of your account and you get to know that you are producing a quality podcast filled with the people that you love that's bringing you conversations that are bringing you on a deeper level with the artists and authors and comedians and all the people that you dig that inspire your life no simple road does that you gave a buck a month you produce the show. You're awesome. We love you. Patreon.com forward slash no simple road. And um, also on the website at no simple road.com is the newsletter. You could sign up there. All the past episodes are there. All the other stuff. And I think that's it. Is that it? Are we ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, you guys. Well, are with, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Darwin, okay. are you ready? Yeah, I'm always ready. All right. Without further ado, the No Simple Rogue crew gives you the author of The Conspiracy Diaries, Rich Simpson. You all right, Apple? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You good? Just a uh, horse throat. That's all. <laughs> Got a horse in your throat? Uh-huh. It's better than a... Well, I guess a frog would be better than a horse. All right. Rich, welcome to No Simple Rogue, yeah. man. How you doing? Thanks, thanks. I'm I'm fine, and uh, thank you for having me. And it's uh, it's it's really uh, great to have this uh, opportunity. To yeah, chat with you guys. We're excited, man. Um, I'm gonna let everybody introduce themselves to you. Yeah, Mel, uh, Rich. So nice to have you on the show. And then we have, and then you have Apple over here. And thank you for joining us this evening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's it's nice to meet you both. And uh, I spoke briefly with Aaron the other day, but it's uh. Great to meet you, and I, I have enjoyed some of you, uh, some of the episodes of your show, and, and I really like the style you guys use in your your programs. So, uh, you know, I thought, yeah, this would be great. So, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. we're we're honored, man. I, you know, <laughs> why no, don't why don't we give the that's what I was yeah just the do. audience a little background, Rich, on um, you know just kind of your background, what you're into, what you're doing here, um, you know, kind of. Your little life story, in a nutshell. Little life story in a nutshell. <laughs> However you want to tell well, it, Rich. The, uh, sure, I'd be happy to. The um, the part, the stuff included in the book is primarily centers around my experience uh, when I was younger, uh, being involved as a Kennedy assassination truth activist uh, years and years ago, and uh, since then, you know, I'd kind of you know, pulled out of that and then raised a family and was doing a lot of music. Uh, I had a, um, a music program down in South America where students would come and, uh, stay with us down there. They were American students coming, living with us for, you know, six months, a year down in South America, uh, doing all kinds of activities, but primarily music recording along with high school and, and, uh, traditional academics. But anyway, the, so I've been doing that for the last 20 years, living in, living outside of the country. And then with, with this virus mess, uh, I've been back in the States, and now I can't get back down there. So oh, no. I'm a little bit, yeah, it kind of sucks. I'm, I'm a little bit out of fish out of water, but um, I'm here with my, you know, I have two boys up here in the Northwest. And so 
that's great. And I'm here with them. And, uh, but once I, you know, was stuck here, uh, I started writing this, uh, in the spring, uh, the first chapter I had, I had written in the previous year. And then I, when I was just sitting around, you know, stuck here in the States, I thought, man, I gotta be creative. I gotta do something. I can't just sit around. And so I, I just started writing. And so this, this book, the conspiracy diaries kind of came out of this time that I've had, uh, you know, uh, this, this past spring and summer. Wow. I like how, I want to go back to how you said, um, the truth, um, how did, how did you put that? The JFK truth, truth, um, activism. Yes. Because that is a quite a different way of saying the JFK conspiracy or assassination or whatever. Like I, I, it changes the spin on, you know, the information. Yeah, you're right. I, I think I referenced somewhere in the book, I think in the beginning, how I really, really cringed at the term conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorist because I realized way back in, you know, 1975 or so when that term was just kind of being born. And I could tell it was a, an engineered term to discredit anybody that had ideas that countered the official versions of anything was going to just be a nut and it wasn't worth looking into. So uh, I've, al- I've always really uh, shied away from that term. And, and yet uh, I used it so much in the book that, I, that uh, can, I just figured, screw it, I'll put it in the title. Conspiracy <laughs> <laughs> Diaries. Well played. Well, because people know that word, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And boy, that, is it being used lately. I mean, you, you name it, everybody all over the place is, yeah, it's conspiracy theory. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, when yep. basically anything that doesn't agree with what somebody else does, they use that word. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's a it's a weaponized term, and I try I try to avoid it, but I sure didn't in the in the uh, in the book. <laughs> well, I mean, you, speaking about the title of the book, "Conspiracy Diaries," it it fits. It, that was the thing <clears throat> that struck me and Bo- and Mel both in in reading is that it's not just. Um, somebody writing a mm. bunch of theories that they have on what has gone on in the past and the present. It's actually your life, a diary of your life interspersed with conspiracies. And I mean, you have a really unique viewpoint as a, I would say you are an insider of the conspiracy doing air quotes with my fingers of the conspiracy world being that you were part of that original movement of people trying to get the truth out about what happened with JFK. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it happened, uh, it was a long time ago and, uh, you know, it was, a kind of a coming of age experience for me and, uh, my close friends that were involved in, in the group that we formed together. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was neat, but in retrospect, it's really only a, a small part of my, uh, my life in the sense that, uh, I mean, I was able to tie in more recent chapters kind of calling back to that time. Uh, but, uh, for the most part, it was just three, three pretty intense years 
back in the 70s. And then ever since then, I've been kind of a conspiracy nut for the rest of my life, hmm. off and on. But, uh, you know, never, never really being an activist or, you know, pursuing anything like we did then. You know, can you take me through a little bit of what it was that got you started on that path in the first place in trying to figure out what happened with JFK? Because, you know, that I'm 49 years old, so I wasn't alive when it happened, although it did happen on my birthday. (laughs) But, um, you know, the images that I've always seen are of like, JFK Jr. crying and the the hearse driving around with the horse behind it and um, the mainstream narrative, so to speak, of, of that whole thing. And for somebody that was there and alive when it all went down, what was the thing that made you question what was going on? Well, I didn't question, you know, at the time I was 11 years old and... Um, uh, I, I think I was, uh, I've always been kind of more interested in current events and politics uh, more than the average person. I remember back when I was eight years old, my parents were Republicans <laughs> for initially. And I remember when I was eight years old and Nixon first election going off and uh, riding my bike to Republican headquarters and getting flyers and handing them out, you know, to people going into polls. And I mean, you know, what are, how annoying that some eight year old isn't a squat, like, you know, but anyway, I was doing it. And, and, you know, when Kennedy was killed um, or removed, uh, probably a better way of saying it. He, um, I was, you know, always interested in, in politics and stuff. But at that time I was still kind of, uh, not that much of a Kennedy fan. And then by the time, I mean, it was never really about being a Kennedy fan, to be honest. I mean, I think it's just realizing that by around the time I was, uh, you know, a teen and the Vietnam war was going on, I was pretty much anti, anti anti-government. You know, I started to really be skeptical of the news and the, uh, the narratives that were being dished out. So, so when I, stumbled across a book uh, called Rush to Judgment. I was um, at college, so I was about 20, no, 18, well, whatever. Um, I p- picked up a book, and um, and it was the first time I had, I'd seen this information about the Kennedy assassination, and it just really struck a chord. And uh, within, let's see, that was seventy. Within a couple of years, uh, I'd gotten to know the author of that book and was part of his, um, his name was Mark Lane, and he uh, he wrote the book Rush to Judgment, and he had a nationwide group trying to lobby for information getting out on the Kennedy assassination. And uh, so uh, in, in the book, you know, I, I kind of, uh, well, I talk about Mark Lane and how he discovered he was uh, very definitely a controlled opposition right. guy put there mm-hmm. to write and kind of deflect deflect a real uh, a more honest inquiry into the whole thing. So, but anyway, that's how I started. Just kind of with my, you know, anti-war kind of, uh, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah. No, that, I that I, kind of, I get you, and and it it was such a huge event that happened, and there was such a push in the mainstream for that narrative to be played out and bought. And so it, it interests me 
as somebody that came up after all that, that people started questioning and then, you know, the Zapruder film came out and, and all that. And it, it, one of the other thing that really struck me about the book too, in reading was that Mark Lane, the guy you were just talking about, how you just so easily say he was controlled opposition, but you were working with that guy for a long time, right? Uh, well, actually, it was probably only a matter of about six, six or seven months. You know, we had set up the Philadelphia chapter of this group, and then um, I very, it was a serendipitous event where I was uh, directed to meet a gentleman in Philadelphia. He was the antithesis of Lane, really. And um, he was a, a lawyer named Vince Blandria. Coincidentally, just passed away, you know, a month or two ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear and, that. And uh, but Vince, Vince was an amazing guy, and it was just like he. I was in the the library, and a lady came up to me and said, "Oh, it looks like you're interested in the conspiracy of Kennedy." And here, she jotted down uh, this name and number and said, "Call this guy." Well, I, I called Vince, and and that was just you know a, a very pivotal moment. Uh, in my life to have met a guy like Vince and he, he became our mentor and we cut ties with Mark Lane and then, you know, kind of went, went in a, a much more inspired and, and uh, honest direction. Yeah. So, uh, I caught that. I, I got that from, from reading. Go ahead. Mel. I was going to ask, did things like that happen to you often, Rich, where, a you know random person would come up and say hey here's a number of a guy of something that you're interested in give him a call like that is seems really out of the blue but very specific yeah yeah well i touch on that in the book in uh, a number of places of just kind of unusual synchronicities and um i don't know if you noticed the one in chapter three which wasn't about me it was about my friend rick and uh, mm and how we, how we ran into uh, this guy in Cambodia. Um, but there's just, there's a number of them that uh, that I find in my life that have been really fascinating. And the older I get, the more I'm kind of thinking, you know, oh, what, what is this? You know, what's going on? There's, uh, there's a thing I talked about in chapter, um, it's called Moving Day, and I talk about our family was moving to... Um, um, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, up to Bonnerstary, Idaho. And the day we moved, we were loaded our van up and uh, was driving up the highway, and we noticed, you know, all these black unmarked cars racing by, and then we've seen you know, black helicopters just, you know, zooming right in the direction we were going. And when we got to the, the house, I grabbed the TV, plugged it in, and... Uh, the NBC Nightly News had just come on, and there's a map of Idaho, a map of Honors Ferry, right where we were. And, you know, we had arrived there on day one of the, the Randy Weaver siege there, the Ruby Ridge thing that happened. Oh, wow. And uh, and I I remember at the time, I thought, yeah, you know, whatever. You know, my wife ended up the next day, she started working at the base of Ruby Ridge at this uh, restaurant, which served as the staging ground for the Weaver supporters, the, the ATF, the, the press from all over the country. It was just this crazy scene there. And you know, we just went from <laughs> out of town to right in the middle of the whole thing. 
And at the time, I just thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. But putting it, you know, looking at it through the lens of synchronicities and timing, and just like, wait a minute, that's pretty weird that, you know, you know, our, our family, especially, you know, me being kind of joke conspiracy kind of like moves there the day of that. <laughs> and, uh, and I just, I mentioned in the book how that, that incident, kind of the coming to there and just being kind of more immersed into the whole Weaver uh, story there kind of reignited my, my uh, kind of anti-government conspiracy mm. thing uh, that had been kind of dormant you know, being a family guy and stuff, suddenly I'm back in it. <laughs> right. So anyway, but yeah, there's, there's uh, this, the synchronicity thing to me is, is interesting because I think, and, and I'm trying to, uh, you know, kind of uh, bring this out in the book that I think a study of conspiracy ultimately leads to a, a study of reality, you know, looking and wait a minute, what is going on in this world? Things are not what they appear to be, obviously, in events, the way events are presented to us. And the more we look at them, the more they kind of fall apart under examination. And it seems that if you take that into into your life and reality and synchronicity, suddenly you can, wait a minute, is this something something else is going on here? So um, that's kind of what what I've tried to tie in with, with conspiracies and, and just mysteries of life how, how it, uh, they seem to be more connected than they normally think definitely and and i would think i mean we spoke the other day briefly but you know there there is a balance to the reality that we are in and if there's nefarious stuff going on out there then there and operatives and all the things that we hear tell then there has to be the other side of the coin and maybe that thing that is the frequency of love out there in the universe is using people like you to get the information out. You know what I mean? I'm those synchronicities. Those aren't accidents. Those are, Mm -hmm. you're sitting in a library. There's a million choices you could have made that day. You could have stopped and got a cup of coffee and not gone there when that person was there. And you know, you know what I mean? The timeline, there's a million billions, infinite numbers of them, but no, you ended up there at that specific moment in time. And she had that information to give. Yeah. And, and that set you on a course different than you were before you walked into that library that day. Right. Right. Now that, uh, it's, uh, I appreciate that, you know, you're able to, uh, mention that and kind of, uh, kind of reinforce that, that idea that, uh, because it does seem that in, in many cases that related to my conspiracy involvement, there is this strange kind of, serendipitous thread as this guy was mentioning uh, Mike Wan, he calls it golden thread. Mm-hmm. Like there's different golden threads kind of tying you to different things yeah. that seem to be connected to maybe what you're supposed to do. Um, I, I had mentioned with my friend Rick when he, he had that experience you know, running into uh, to this uh, to Ron Kovic who was the a, um Vietnam veterans against the war leader who just 
very coincidentally, they bumped into each other in a very, very dire situation. As Cambodia was, yeah, where the whole, everything was falling apart. People weren't able to get out of the country. There was a guy, I mean, we've seen pictures and video of it. People like falling from helicopters, trying to get on the last chopper out of there. And he just happened to run into right. that guy there. Yeah. And, and it, in a sense that, it linked him to, you know, getting out of there. I mean, if, it's like God knows what would have happened if he hadn't run into Ron because, you know, it was Ron who got the ticket out of there because he was a vet, a wounded vet. He was paraplegic, and they had already told Rick to get the hell out of there, you know, if he was just some, some freak who hitchhiked there, and then it was his problem. <laughs> but uh, in any case, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just, it's an astounding coincidence, and, which and I don't even like to use the word coincidence now, but um, it's it's as if in the one thing I, I mentioned in the book was that it's just almost as if when Rick was back in Miami when when Ron Coke was leading the demonstration and you know against the uh, Nixon's uh, second you know nomination at the convention there, uh, the way Rick was talking about Ron, it was almost as if he was activating something that was going to come to play a few years later, which was going to save his book and get him out of there. So, um, I mean, what uh, other, I mean, to me, that makes more sense than just, what, oh, what a coincidence. Yeah. You know? Just so happens. Yeah. No, I, I think well, that it, we... like in digging with everything that you're doing, it just seems like these are the nuggets that let you know that you're on the right path. You know, because you could be studying anything. You could be, you know, studying, you know, fashion, and but you're not. And so here is these people that are kind of perfectly placed, like these nuggets of information that are perfectly placed when you start digging and doing the research. Yeah, well, I think in the case of, uh, it's almost sometimes easier to see it in the case of someone else. Like in the case of Rick, I just think, you know, the way he was traveling across Asia in, in a way that was, only him. I mean, the rest, you know, as much as that sounds really appealing, oh, yeah, hitchhiked across Asia. I mean, he did it the way only he would do it. And so he was really being himself. And I think that a lot of times when you're living, um, you know, you're taking that road less traveled that's meant for you, that you're more likely to have those kind of experiences. And uh, I know in Rick's case, um, it, sure, it sure seems like it. And I guess I could say the same about some of the, the crazy synchronicities that, that occurred with me and in, in, uh, in the whole you know, truth, uh, movement. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, when you find out, you know, you say it was six or seven months, but you find out that the guy that, I mean, he was kind of mentoring you guys, you find out that he's controlled opposition from a chance meeting and you're uncovering this. I mean, at the time, the, the Kennedy assassination is probably the biggest conspiracy out there. There's a lot of danger in that, in, in talking about that and trying to uncover the truth because it was covered up for a reason. And the people that covered it up did it because they didn't want to be found out. And so now here's this group of guys that are digging where they shouldn't be digging. And there's somebody there that is intentionally putting you on the wrong path. And when you find out that that's going on, were you ever like worried for your life or 
your family when all that was going? Because that was the first thing that came to my mind. Like, I would be terrified. Well, there was times, you know, let's face it. I mean, there was times that, yeah, there would be some paranoia involved. And uh, it was really, and I mean, we've never talked about, you know, smoking weed or anything, but you know how it can be when, you know, when, when you smoke weed, you can get uh, some, you know, it can go in a lot of different directions. Oh, but yeah. Sometimes it can go in a pretty, uh, a pretty scary direction, you know, where suddenly you can just be flooded with, you know, it's like the door has been opened to uh, some realm where there's a lot of fear. And and so, yeah, that would happen. And it was during that time, as a matter of fact, Vince, the guy that became our mentor, he was just like, you know, you guys smoking weed, you know? You know <laughs> well, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Well, you know, he, he and he just kind of was real supportive just to say, you know, it, it's probably not, not a good idea at this point to be doing that. And, um, and then, you know, years later, I mean, you know, so I, I went for years being kind of like anti-weed until, uh, until, uh, my wife got cancer and, uh, I started, uh, you know, making her, uh, you know, the Rick Simpson oil and all the medicine and, and she had great benefit from that. And it just kind of reopened the door for me of the whole cannabis thing. And, uh, and I ended up, uh, I mentioned it in the, uh, in the chapter, uh, the songbird chapter about, you know, just, I think, I think sometimes, um, we were, we overinflated our importance in the whole thing. And, and it was, it wasn't really that we were in that much danger because even when we were doing our thing, we were, we were small fries really. And, uh, I don't think, I don't think it was, uh, mm. we were ever really in danger. And then now we come across this, this concept is, well, what we were doing, you know, by coming out with what we thought, you know, was the truth about the Kennedy assassination, is that really going against what they, you know, because, you know, I believe that actually having the information come out is part of the, part of the design for the whole thing. So at some point we could actually be serving the uh, the system by coming out with this information, and uh, I mean that that's a whole nother level. Because um, when I talk a lot, I like this this um, metaphor of using you know conspiracies as like an onion. You know, it has different layers. Right. And in the Kennedy assassination, the first layer is you know that Oswald, you know, this lone assassin guy killed killed the president and it was a tragedy. And then you, you dig down and you think, Oh, wait a minute. Looks like there was some people involved with him and we dig a little lower. And then next layer we come to, it's like, Whoa, it looks like it, it must've been, uh, you know, those right wing Texans that, that did it. And, oh yeah. And then you go a little lower and then you see, wait a minute, it looks like these weren't right wing Texans. These were, this was a, a globalist type of thing. This was a, you know, a world, a world kind of one world system takedown, and then. Um, but the one thing I have to mention that it, it's it sounds crazy, but there are actually people in the truth community that have been doing great jobs, kind of get going into things. Particularly, um, some of them are actually questioning whether the Kennedy assassination actually took place. And I'm not there yet. I'm not there. <laughs> you know, I haven't crossed that line. Um, 
but you know, I think it's, uh, I think when you're looking at it into reality and truth, you know, everything should be on the table. And, uh, but I, like I say, I'm, I'm not there yet. Cause I think I, I know too, you know, too much. Uh, I think it's easy for some people to, you know, think, well, if this was fake and that was a hoax, uh, then that was, you know, it's all hoaxes. And I think, nah, I'm not, not ready to make that jump. Well, I feel kind of like that's what the internet does is it validates and invalidates anything you want to look up. So it makes it seem like even if the information is true, so what? Or <laughs> even if the information is false, oh, well. We can like, prove it the other way. No yeah, it, it definitely seems like the more information you get, uh, like you said, just kind of keep digging. Well, you can kind of talk yourself out of it or or just kind of lose interest. Yeah, no, I think I think we've entered the, the twilight zone with information that that is so much. There's just so much stuff that you know to filter out, and, and it's so hard to tell. It takes a, a huge amount of discernment and intuition to really you know snuff things out. Yeah, because, yeah. Because well, so many things, and I think it's by design. I really do. That was what I was going to say to you, man. I, I, so when we spoke the other day, this this doesn't really have to do with the book, but I think that a good portion of the people that are listening to the show kind of share the same headspace with us. And I had I asked you a question the other day, and this is not a political question. It, it's more of a control question. And, you know, I said, Rich, what do you, what do you think is going on? Like, you know, what, what's happening right now? Because it, it all seems so blatant and in our face. And it doesn't even seem to me it, that those that are in control are trying to hide the shit that they're up to. And wh where are we? Like, what do we do? And what you said to me the other day is, you know, Aaron, I think that our reality may have been hijacked. And I want you to to explain that to me a little more, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, I, I, I wish I could explain the intricacies of it, but I have no clue. <laughs> you know, but it just seems looking at it from the big picture, it does appear that something really, really unusual has been occurring. And it's, you know, it's hard to really put a date on it. When did it really start? I mean, I think. You know, that when the Twin Towers went down, you know, that was a, a milestone. And then I think the Mayan 2012 seemed to have been a milestone. But I, I noticed things like the curve just getting really steep, going into into weirdness, like right around like 2015 or so. You know, all have you guys heard of the Mandela effect? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> You know, it seemed like suddenly we started hearing about the Mandela effect and then the the reality of space and all these things just came out of nowhere. Like yes. reality we were suddenly getting confronted with just wait a minute, folks, you know, happy days are over. This is some weird stuff now that we're getting and um trying to make sense of it, it's you know, I don't really think there's any short answers, but I think just that observation, you know, humanity is like, yeah, things are getting weirder. And, um, and the funny thing that seems weird is that 
you know, again, we can we can try to stay out of the. Uh, I try to stay out of going into the the right left paradigm, right? Because I mean, it's, it's a it's a big trap. But the 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 thing that that you said the other day that stuck with me was, you know, the yin yang concept of this reality that we're in, and how if all of this you know, co-opting of our reality is going on and fear is being used as a weapon against us. Well, on the flip side of that, there's got to be love, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, and there's got to be light and there's got to be hope and there's got to be, uh, uh, a good, a good spiritual connection. Um, that, uh, I think is, is more available now. Um, but I think it's a little to get to access it. I think you have to get through all this, this fear programming that's, that's being out there, and it's not that easy. You know, there, it, it almost seems like, you know, I, I mean, you know how it is. People are just there's a lot of fear coming down the pike, and I think it's it really gets in the way of um, of um, being able to access that. Right. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a strange thing because when the quarantine started from where I'm sitting, I kept just saying like, where's love in all of this? Like, we got to get back to that. That needs to be the thing that we all focus on is sending out that vibe out into the world. That thing needs to be broadcast even more than ever before. Right. And, and, you know, I think one of the best ways to to live that is to not fall for this divide and conquer baloney. It's just so much, you know, heightened emotion behind things. And I think the best way to really access love and understanding is to, to not fall for that crap. Yeah. Into, like, I just went on a trip back east to visit, well, two of the guys that I mentioned. Well, actually three. All three of my... my Anybody's. I did a chapter on each one of them, and I, I went back and saw all three of them, and um, in different parts of Vermont. And Vermont is is um, uh, I have my sister in Massachusetts, and and I run into a lot of people that have very different ideas than I do about pretty much everything. And I remember having to just you know remind myself. You know, all right, I'm going there. What do I want this trip to be like? Do I want to argue with them about this and that and that and that? But no. It's like, do I want to connect with them as much as I can because I love these people? And and it was like, yep. So I, I had to really kind of force myself. But, man, I'll tell you what, it really worked. I mean, I didn't get into one freaking argument. I was able to really communicate. I didn't have to plug up anything, but I found the words to, to be very... Um, you know, a- able to be real and, uh, and and not sell myself out, but not not be the slightest bit argumentative and have just a really good connection with everybody. And that's wow. that's the thing I think that. Well, you went there with love. Well, sounds that, like yeah, yeah, and that's the thing that's missing to me, just from my perspective, is that if you don't agree with me, then we're fighting, and if I don't agree with you, then I hate you. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. That dramatic. We, yeah, we can, we can disagree and still love each other. We can disagree and still get along. 
and and that's okay and that's that's i mean that's part of being that's the human experience is not agreeing with everyone and that's been the problem for time immemorial is that you know i don't agree how you built your hut and i'm going to take it from you or whatever the thing is like we need to be able to move past that and get to a place where we can find understanding and communication and connection with each other. It's just hard to do that when people are in a state of fear, you know, cause think about trying to love someone when you're afraid. That is a very huge challenge. So, you know what I mean? Like if you're trying to, you know, right. Like be with somebody or you're trying to comfort somebody. If you're afraid, it's going to be hard to show that love. Right, and that's true. it just seems like that's no, really right. Well, what we're encountering encountering now is is an orchestrated confusion that I think is is intentional. I think that there's a uh, kind of a um, evil intelligence, an evil genius behind the system, and I'm not so sure it's even human. <laughs> but it seems to have just gone into overdrive, and I think it's really what's creating so much of, of of what we're uh, what we're seeing now, and I think it this orchestrated confusion, you know, can provide cover for you know, additional criminality and additional movement away from being. You know, we used to be the, the they used to call the U.S. the, the leader of the free world. Mm-hmm. You know, we, it's like I haven't heard that lately, and I I uh, it would be nice if we could stay the free world, right? But. Uh, I think what we're seeing is just a lot of engineered confusion to kind of pull a, a fast one so that suddenly we wake up and suddenly what happened? You know, we're in some dystopia. It feels like that it, mm-hmm. already. It really does. It really does. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think, uh, I think the, the final chapter uh, of the book, the one before the last chapter, about the ultimate conspiracy. It was kind of a really fun one to write for me. It kind of just came out really easily. And it, it's basically um, kind of uh, supporting this idea that, that Rudolf Steiner, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, he was the guy that came up with the Waldorf School. Mm-hmm. And, and Steiner basically said, you know, he, he was a, a clairvoyant, among other things, and a philosopher and an educator and all kinds of men wore many hats, but he he said that what's really going on is that there's this more real reality than our reality where there are actual beings that are feeding on fear and confusion and anger and emotion, and then it's really important that we understand that we don't have to get into it. We don't have to like get all weird into the demon thing or anything like that, but just know that when you lose it, when you get angry and fearful and impatient, that that on some other level, there's something that's really digging that. There's something that's enjoying that and, and feeding off of it. So with that knowledge, it's possible to to go. Wait, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be part. Of wow, that's that's, that's a, a great reminder. That is a really good reminder because we all love to sulk in our shit every now and then, you know, or we justify our bad moods or reasons for unforgiveness. But you're right. There's something weird and 
kind of like golemy that <laughs> make that is you know kind of like putting its fingers together and is excited about that negativity or that anger or frustration. I I, I, I gotta agree with with her and and you and I, I I've heard that said before actually in in other circles what you're talking about and I I don't know man I I think that on whatever level that thing is at this moment in time it is just like the the image that comes to mind for me is like the glutton demon just like fat happy and drooling at this point because we're home feeding it constantly and that thing is just like (laughs) you know so I don't know. I, there's no question in that. It just, I, that resonates with me. Right. And, and I think having that image, you know, that, that she's mentioned, you know, this gluttonous uh, thing feeding off us, it, it almost makes it harder to, to kind of flip the opposite, you know, into the yin yang thing and go, well, that must mean that there's a huge, there's increased opportunity for us now more than ever because we have this, increase coming at us so there must be an increase of of you know grace or you know something vital for us to to kind of latch on to you know to kind of go all right i'm i'm in on it you know like sign me up i'm going all the way mm-hmm. as much as i possibly can and help me help me to be the best that i can be at this point because uh otherwise you know i'm just going to be uh food for the beast Right. It's, it's funny. It's very strange. I've just, uh, something came to mind, you know, you and I were talking and you had mentioned that you've been a musician and that music is your thing. And, you know, that's, that's our bag too. And, um, the lead guitar player from fish, I don't know if you know who they are. Um, his name is Trey Anastasio and, Sure. Sure. So for the past eight weeks, he's been doing a show every Friday night from the Beacon Theater and putting it out for free on Twitch. And uh, these are just amazing shows, totally produced with a horn section and strings and like all kinds of just amazing music has come out of this thing. But last night was the last show. And he was wearing a t-shirt and all the shirt said on it was love. And at the end of the broadcast, there was like a flash mob kind of a thing. And he had his mask on. He was walking out of the theater and there was a healthcare worker on the outside and he stopped and handed her a mask and the mask said love on it. And it just, it, it it goes to show it. It's a, literal illustration of what you're talking about at least to me that on the flip side there are these huge waves and broadcasts of that love energy going out to all of us if we know where to look for it what is a city without its music the legacy of the new york philharmonic is incredible nearly two centuries of history that's a lot of music and a lot of stories i was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking i can't quite believe this is happening 
Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil Story Made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And uh, that's good to hear. You know, you know Trey, by the way, he's, he's from the, the town that uh, where I, I was in, uh, you know, by the last serious music in you know, Burlington, Vermont. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Trey, so Trey goes back. You know, we used, used to play at Nectars, and, and that's where uh, <laughs> you know fish would play at. You know, it's a it's so, a yeah. small world, man, and. It, it, so there was something else that you and I spoke about the other day that I wanted to ask you about. And so for me, and I think the other people sitting in this room, I could speak pretty uh, confidently in saying that psychedelics have been a huge part of our life and that that thing has really served to, at least for me, help me to parse through the haze of everything that's going on out there at times it can make it a little more difficult but on the whole i would say it's it's assisted me in seeing through the bullshit the bullshit (laughs) and there's in a lot of circles talk that the whole thing that happened in the 60s was a psyop so i'm just curious what what you think about that well, I definitely, definitely uh, could talk a long time about the 60s being a psyop, but that does not, for one minute, discount that within that psyop, let's say that you know, drugs, or LSD in particular, was deliberately uh, distributed into society. Um, it, it does not mean that LSD can't be an amazing experience for, you know, transformation and, and wonderful thing. Right. Um, so, but, but yeah, the, uh, I, the chapter, I, I forget what number it is, but it's called engineering society. I talk about social engineering and then the following chapter, uh, it's called meet the Beatles. And I talk about how the Beatles, uh, can be looked at as, as a, uh, a giant social engineering uh, thing. And I think, I think together those two chapters make a real strong case for like so much of how society has evolved is not been as organic and natural as we, we like to think. Matter of fact, almost nothing <laughs> is really kind of just naturally occurring. You know, that these the social engineers have been fairly towards the cap of the pyramid there at the top. Um, not at the very top of thing, but you know, they're up there. Uh, you know, they have been just, basically directing society for years and years. And I think that the sixties and, and, um, and the Beatles, as much as I loved the Beatles and I was, you know, really young when the music was coming out and I was just living it totally. I can still look at the Beatles as a Tavistock, uh, social engineering thing. And that doesn't discredit the music or, or them so much, but, um, yeah. So, so yeah, but I think LSD, uh, psychedelic, uh, can have a have a huge part and I think, you know, I've never really tied them into to my life, but I think if I really looked honestly at, at my life and my experiences, I'd have to I'd have to say that, you know, because you said what did I first why did I first get into K 
Kennedy in the first place. And I'd say, well, you know, I think that my experiences with psychedelics really opened me up yes. to things that I never would have been open to. Hearing that, that LSD would be intentionally released and manufactured and given to the public as a tool for social engineering. I mean, it sounds on the surface to me, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But then if I stop and ask myself, like, why would you give intentionally give people the keys to free their mind if you were trying to control them? Well, they didn't know that. Well, I think, I think looking at, and not just LSD, but drugs in general, right. I think, I think when you actually look at like the percentage of people like yourselves and people that, I mean, I, of all the times I did LSD, you know, and I can't, must be honest, I can't really be sure how many times that actually was, <laughs> yeah, right. but, um, that, um, I would say probably 10 or 15% you know, we're actually, I was entering into it in probably a, a, a good way, a way to really bring out the very best of the, the experience. And and I'd say a lot of the time, you know, it's not just LSD, but you got to throw them all in together with everything, you know, heroin, weed, you know, speed, downers, up, you know, the whole thing mm -hmm. that I think drugs in general uh, have, a, have a negative effect on society whether or not that there's a small percent of people that are really, you know, being transformed through the psychedelics experience. I don't think that the social engineers even, you know, it, it, I don't really think it was much of a factor because the, the vast majority of, of uh, people that use drugs, it's not so much the drugs itself. I think it's the effect that drugs have, which mm. is to basically alter the course of society. You know, okay. and, and even in the case, and even in the case of good, you know, of, of people going to psychedelics with a good attitude, you know, it, they're still going to be ready to, to kind of let go of convention and tradition, you know, which ultimately has a really good side to it, but it also is, makes it, uh, vulnerable to be, to manip to be manipulated in the way that I think it was. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's a long it's it's a long road there looking at that. But uh, I, I, I never really, heard it put I like enjoy that. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I never thought about it like that. That you know, there's there is a percentage of people that were taking it and using it, and then there's and also looking at it as a whole. It, you know, there's a uh, a recording of Jerry Garcia, and I think. Um, Ken Kesey and they're talking about uh, they were part of the initial tests for LSD uh, in San Francisco and they were like yeah they they paid us $20 to go in and look at this room and and we came out and they asked us what we found and they said don't let anybody else in that room you know and so I think that that part of it those kind of people that went in first and looked around and saw what the potential of the thing was, I think maybe those guys were the engineers <laughs> on a lot of levels too, man, that they saw the potential that it could 
do something really beautiful and did their best to spread it around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there definitely is that. Um, there's definitely that. When is the book coming out? Oh, uh, any time now. It's the editing process took a little longer than I expected. And now it's in the formatting process and it should literally be, you know, Monday or Tuesday. So I'm guessing, I don't know. This is new for me. I've never done done this kind of thing. So I'm hoping, you know, at the very most, in, you know, another week or two, and maybe before Christmas. Cool. Are, yeah, we hope so too. So is there going to be physical copies of the book or is this just going to be a digital, digital release? As far as I know, it's going to be both. You're going to be able to go on and, uh, on the Kindle format or whatever it is where you order it and you'll be able to order the, the Kindle version or the, the soft cover physical version. Oh, and, wow. Uh, cool. I know a lot of, a lot of people prefer the, the physical version cause they don't like reading a book on a computer. I do. That, that That's me. <laughs> I, I love to have a book in my hand. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it's successful. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of hope, hoping that happens soon. Yeah, we are too. You know, it the one of the things that really like um is intriguing about the whole thing like I said in the beginning is that you wrote it as a diary and it's not just facts laid on the page. And I I know I said that to you earlier, but w- what I'm curious about is what made you decide to put it together that way? I mean, is it just was it easier for you to write it because that's what happened to you and that's your life or was it something else? Well, okay. I'll tell you the process kind of reminded me a lot about or similar to sometimes how music will uh, come to me, you know, where I don't necessarily start, you know, thinking this is what I'm going to do. It just kind of happens. And what I, I had written the first chapter and if you recall, I, I kind of included a, a lot about um, Beth, my my girlfriend, mm-hmm. and um, and I had that first chapter was just kind of like, well, there's you know, there's a little short story, and then I thought, shoot, you know, it's kind of fun. Like, like maybe I could build off that, and I thought, well, wait a minute, you know, I kind of Beth, you know, I didn't really say that much about her, and you know, she was she was having a hard time, you know, back then, and I thought, but you know, she did better as, as time went on I thought I'm just gonna like weave her in and out and, and weave her in and tie her progression you know in life to to stories about whatever I want to talk about as long as I kind of link her in and, and then I thought I'll throw in you know I don't know it just it just started to happen from there but I remember when I thought hey I could actually um, write some more about Beth and show her positive you know the good things that happened to her and um, connected to more stories. So it, mm. it kind of just went from there. Wow. And that, that for me, I don't know about Apple or Mel, but that kind of format keeps me engaged because with like documentary style writing where it's just, I don't know, just laid out, I'll lose, I lose steam after a little while. Like, but if there's a story involved, an evolution happening, then I'm more 
app to continue going. Oh, I love like biographies. So I love that kind of that format also where you're, it's like I was telling Aaron, like personal experience, you know, when we were uh, reading the book, it just seemed like because you're telling it from your perspective, this is like a, a personal experience. It's not like, you know, document a one slash, you know, five, you know, it's, it's real life events. And Here's so my it, opinion. yeah, so it, it, it's very catchy, at least, you know, to me to also. Yeah. Well, thanks. I appreciate, I appreciate that. And, uh, I, um, you know, I, I just didn't have it in me to just do a dry, like, <laughs> You know, the, all right, this is what I think about this, and this is what, you know, I just, it just, I didn't have it in me. And, and I think being able to throw in some memoirs and, and uh, stories about some of my friends and how they related to the conspiracy uh, world, I think really made it a lot more uh, writable for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited for you, man. I, I hope it, it does amazing. And I appreciate you reaching out to us and, and letting us be the first podcast that you talk about it on. And, you know, I, I can see that it's, it's your life and your passion, man. And it, it shows and it comes through in the writing. So I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, man. Well, thanks. I really appreciate it. And I was just wondering if, uh, I I might be able to, uh, write or read you a a little, uh, some lyrics from a a song I recorded many years ago. Please. Love yeah, it, this is uh, this was recorded uh, in Vermont, you know, back in the uh, in the days I think just before this. But uh, anyway, it's called uh, world. It's called World Leaders Step Down, and I guess it's it's a conspiracy song. Okay. <laughs> and anyway, here, here are the lyrics. Every time they say it's the truth, you know it's just a lie. They say they'll take good care of us as they plan for us to die. As they lead us right off the cliff, we'll follow like dumb sheep. I wish this were a nightmare. I wish I was asleep. You can hang on to your old illusions if you want to hide, if you really don't want to know. You can let the truth escape you, let it go. When this fear spreads, it seems so lonely, but I know we're not alone. We're joined together, bonded by love that lasts forever. Right wow. on. Wow. You wrote that like in the late 70s, early 80s? Yeah, that was 79. Wow. wow. It's just as relevant <laughs> right now. <laughs> more things change, the more they stay the same, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things back then that, that I remember when we were doing the Kennedy um, programs, you know, the, the presentations is that, you know, saying to the, the audience, it's like, you guys, you have to understand that this, if this stuff goes down, if, if they get away with this kind of stuff, we're toast. And it's just a matter of time. It's going to come back. And that's why we have an obligation to kind of get behind truth as best we can and to not, fall for this bullshit because it will come back. And, you know, in my life, I mean, I've had a pretty good run and, uh, but it's coming back and it's, it's threatening the, you know, the well being of my, my kids, my grandkids. And, uh, so anyway, yeah, but that, that's kind of what, <laughs> that was kind of a thought behind that song that, that like, 
you know, this, you know, this isn't good. We got to wake up. Wow. Well, thanks, man. Thank you for, for writing that and for, for helping us, for wake, helping up. us wake up. Yeah, yeah, man. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you guys. And I, I really appreciate it. And uh, let's stay in touch. I, I Absolutely. Really Absolutely. It. Yeah. And I, I'll let you know when this is coming out. I, and you just give me a, shoot me a text when or an email when the, out. when the book's out and then we'll work, work the release out around it. Will do. All right. Rich. Will do. Well, thanks Thanks so much. I appreciate it, Aaron, Melanie, and Apple. Thanks so much, you guys. Take you care, too, brother. Rich. Have a great Thank night. You so Talk much. to you soon, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Whoa. Rich. What a trip, man. Everybody's got something to teach. Yep. And, you know, I think for me, the thing that, like, apart from the conspiracy stuff, the thing that stands the truth stuff you mean <laughs> the, the, truth seeking stuff the thing that stands out the most from talking to somebody like him is the lesson that we don't all have to agree to be able to have a conversation we don't all have to believe the same thing think the same thing or see the same things we can still talk we can still have dialogue and then in the middle of that thing is this big ball of light that's called love and that's what can come through. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I feel like I used to know what you were saying, but <laughs> <laughs> no, not that I don't know what you're saying. Yes, the ball of love, all of that stuff. It just seems so, you know, when you talk about that, it seems all encompassing. And then when you talk about something else, that seems, you know what I mean? Like the when you shift your um, focus, whatever you're focusing on can seem so oppressive and so final like if you think about life from a, a dystopian perspective we start to kind of see all those ways that that's manifested but if you start to think about things that you're grateful for you're like oh my god my friend just got me a free cup of coffee wow i just found a penny on the floor cool it's not raining today like your focus anytime you shift it can go into something so i i really appreciate his perspective of how he wrote the conspiracy or how he wrote that book. Mm. Um, I don't want to keep saying it's, it's, Yeah. It's, right. It's, it's in the conspiracy title. Diaries. Yeah. It's the name of the book. It's right there. Yeah. Yeah. But like that he wrote it from his POV. I like, I really like that because you know what? We could all write a book about conspiracy diaries. We can all write a book like that. I don't know if I could write a book. Well, like not that. with his content. I'm just saying from our life, you know? Yeah. And I know what you mean about the perspective thing. I do. I, just today apple and i were went to your work to go get some stuff and we're standing in line outside and i was just thinking to myself my god man we're standing in line for the grocery store like this is like some dystopian weird shit going on like the sky's slate gray everybody's got masks on it's raining and we're all standing in line to get food and like okay that wasn't a thing nine months ago like that's, that's kind of weird do. like we always joke around we're pulling up i'm like i'm not wearing a mask or you're infringing on my rights he's like well you get no food then i was like damn it i guess i'll put my mask <laughs> yeah on. you are you can put your well, mask on take care of go along with it and, and then the other day you and i go and i'm like stop complaining the sun was out it's beautiful we're on a date there's fresh air we're out of the house like same situation, totally different perspective. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And you can get yourself in a funky perspective if you keep yourself funky. 
Yeah, it depends on what path you decide to take every yeah. day, not just every day, every moment. That's, that's one, one thing I like about the like talking about this is that I mean it's the same, not to me like not like same old story, same old song and dance, but it's like it's like it's building up. He was kind of saying that too. It's getting, and he's older, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like these people, all of us, have been bullshitted forever. There's so much bullshit right now, but it feels like we're talking about it's building up to some breakthrough. Where the yin and yang, where it's going to flip back, something's going to come through, shit's going to come out. I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? It's building up to. It's building to a head. Something's going to fucking happen. Like with but all, it's going to pop. That's been said all throughout time too. Well, but uh, somebody's got to be here. right. But there's been different it, zit pops all throughout history. I, well, yeah, yeah I was going to say, think like about a major one is due. The Earth, like you know, however billions of years old it is. Even if it takes 1,000 years, that's a tiny little... Oh, that's a blip. Exactly. Oh, sorry, guys. Darwin just freaking bombed the room. Darwin Rudy tooting over there. But yeah, you know what I mean? So like even if it's, you know, 1,000 years ago, they were saying that 100 years ago, in the grand scale of time, it's still fairly short. So see... Apple over there laughing and I know plugging his nose. Walk, oh yeah, I'm trying to be serious, you guys. And, and, he, and then Darwin's <laughs> farting. He gets up licking his lips. He's like, he's like <laughs> oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I could taste it. It smells like, it tastes like ketchup. Wow. No, you know, I, I agree with both of you. And it does seem like it's coming to a head. And it also has always been said that it's coming to okay. a head. Well, and it yeah. has come to heads. Think about the tsunami in Japan. That was humongous and tragic. The nuclear Chernobyl, exactly. The these Kennedy are, assassination, nine yes, eleven. Yeah, these are huge blips that are the freaking pandemic. Like we are getting this humongous pimple popping. We just, for some reason, we're waiting for something else. I don't want to wait for something else. I'll just say that this is it. This we're is good. It. That, oh, we're it good. Popped. That's it. The pimple popped. Oh look, I woke up today and the pimple was gone. It's just a big crater there. Clear so. <laughs> no, you know what, man? I. I appreciate alternate points of view. So do I. I appreciate people that are willing to speak their mind and are willing to have a conversation and be human beings with each other. And it's wonderfully beautiful. Unless we're getting getting paid to disagree. Why? Why would you get paid to disagree? Well, like if you're a lawyer, if you're an attorney. Okay. I was like, wait, like how, in debate class. wait, how yeah. do I get paid to disagree? I, I want that, that job. Well, <laughs> no, and that's a good lesson too. Like I remember that in like debate class in high school where it's, it's like, well, I don't agree with that. It's like, we don't have a fucking choice. This is what, this is the topic. Yeah. And your assignment, if you want to get a good grade is to come up with, it's like, I don't believe that. Side. It's yeah, like, you do well, now. you have to. Mm-hmm. And then that makes you open that thought and see, even if you don't agree and go there for a minute. And then when you're done, it's like, oh. It's a good exercise. Okay, yeah, and you see it helps you step in other people's shoes. It helps with compassion. Yeah. And everything. Sometimes other people's shoes don't fit. And it makes you do something you don't want to fucking do, which is good a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Tell mm. tell your 25-year-old self that, dude, and see what he says. I, I remember myself at going, I'm not going to ever do anything I don't want to do. And, and now here I am. You know, doing all kinds of shit, doing all kinds of do. shit I don't want to do. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Everybody's just wound up. And I was thinking about this the other day, actually this morning. I past few nights have been rough sleep wise, like I've been having trouble sleeping and having the same odd dream over and over again in different scenarios. And um, 
was just thinking this morning, man, like, first of all, I'm not the only one. What do you mean? I'm not the only one that's had trouble sleeping lately. I'm yeah, yeah. sure there's everybody else hundreds oh. of millions of people. Okay, I thought you were everybody else is sleeping <laughs> great. Dude. I have been sleeping you. great actually. And, and and like 2020, people are feeling beat up by November end of November 2020. We're all a little bit beat up. Oh my like, god, I saw the funniest meme with this Barbie. It was like the beginning of like January 2020, all happy and pretty. And then like it was like mid uh, 2020. She had dark circles under her eyes. Her hair was all tattered and she had like lipstick on the side. And that was like her 2020 self, like all fresh in the beginning and then all worn, (laughs) road worn at the end. The thing that comes to mind is like when we would go to shows in Vegas after the show, in the casino at three o'clock in the morning, you see those guys and those girls coming out of the club and the girls carrying her high heels and she's limping and she's got a run in her stockings and the dude's fucking coat is torn and puke on his vest. A little almond on it. A little bit of puke. They're like, yeah, everybody's a little beat up from 2020 physically, spiritually, emotionally, in a Mentally, lot of ways, yeah. Any way you can be, financially. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's coming to a head. And I, 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 I personally, like, all right, enough's enough, man. Yeah, like, but it doesn't go off of Aaron's time. No, right? it didn't, doesn't. <laughs> and and that's the thing, like. It's sh- about endurance. That's what I was just going to say. It's a Kriya. 2020 is a Kriya. <laughs> Keep your hand up, motherfucker. Oh my gosh. Two hours. If you guys don't know what that means, explain it. Crack up. So, um, in Kundalini yoga, it's not like going to a regular yoga class where, you know, the teacher's kind of like off the top of her head. You like kind of have to have a book because these classes are very specific. And so, one Kundalini yoga class is, is called a Kriya. And so, that might be a two hour class, a 50 minute class, a 25 minute class. It just depends on the Kriya. on the Kriya. But Aaron and I had gone to white tantric yoga, oh which is um, a six hour meditation. Um, no, no. This was a six hour physical pounding. No, it was a six hour meditation. And within those six hours, there was, you know, may, say maybe like five to seven to 10 different meditations, you know, in that when, six hour. But when you say meditation, people think that we were sitting there. No, in the I'm going to explain. Okay, like I'm trying com- to explain. Like like, because, whoa. well, Kundalini Yoga was very different in the sense, like, you know, what meditation people think is now, like, you know, get your cute little cushion and you <laughs> close your eyes and put on some, you know, music like, bird whistling music or something um this kind of meditation was it it was a it was partner meditation first of all so you needed a partner and um you were wearing all white we were wearing all white and you're sitting across from your partner doing meditations that were highly physical so that either chanting um eye gazing um certain breath techniques arm movements okay Um, hang on what one of them, just one. This is the one Aaron remembers the most. It's tra- it traumatized sitting, him. Sitting <laughs> face to face. Face to face with Mel. Knees touching. Knees touching. My right hand over her left shoulder and her right it hand over like, my like, left like, shoulder. It was kind of like... Sorry to say this, but like Hitler's arm, you know, like it was opposite arms. For but you're not resting your hand no. on their shoulder. You're above, like by their ear and staring in their face. For uh, yeah 
an hour. Sit like that for five minutes. Your arm starts to shake and get tired. Well, an so that's hour. the point. The, the, the point is, is after that first five minutes where you're burning and you're kind of sweating and your arm is tingling and you, there's, you reach past that. And then, you know, at minute 45, it's like it doesn't exist. Not to everybody, of course. You know, you you're struggling with your mind, and then you're looking at your partner's eyes, and you're like, "You better not fucking put your hand down." You better not put your hand down. And so you're you talking. Not stick your thumb in my ear. Yes. Kickstand. <laughs> you're you're talking the whole time, but not at all. It's all through your eyes, and then there's these certain points where it's just like. I would imagine what it would be like when a bird like comes off of a tree and just doesn't even put his wings out yet. It just kind of go like there's these beautiful points within that meditation that that happens where you're looking in your partner's eyes, you're looking through their eyes, your arms. You don't even know that you've got arms anymore. You don't know if you just started the meditation or if you're about to finish it. You don't know shit. You're just in it. And so 2020 being a Kriya is that what i was thinking um, well i'm in the part a, an where entire my, <laughs> my arm is burning <laughs> and, and i have to pee and, yeah and and you kind of have to hold all your bodily still 30 functions minutes left yeah there's 30 minutes left guys but they're gonna feed you some really good gruel at the end well they actually did have some pretty good uh vegetarian and vegan <laughs> gruel gruel yeah, yeah. Anyway, cool. welcome to the Korea so that is 2020. You guys keep going. And yeah. Yep, keep yeah, your hands keep going. up. Don't keep disappoint everybody up. Keep by going. putting your arm down. Don't let your up. partner down. Mm-hmm. Come on. It, all joking aside, if you are out there and you're having a hard time and you're uh, metaphorically feeling like you need to put your arm down, <laughs> uh, you are more than welcome to hit us up at info at nosimpleroad.com. You can also reach out through the DMs on Instagram um, and we will help you out, man. I have to say one more thing about this meditation because the whole purpose of the partner meditation is to share energy and not just with the partner in the room, but everybody in the room. So when you feel like you need to put your arm down, gazing at your partner you take some of not take, but their energy sustains you and also the people around you. And so that was the point of doing it in a one room with hundreds of people together. It was like a thousand. It was sharing this energy and helping each other's energy stay up. So that's what Aaron's talking about. That's how I always kind of picture. I've heard this story several times and I just picture like, like a show thousands of people all concentrating on the same thing and that yeah. creates a power that Absolutely. you would not have unless there was a congregation totally right apple like to you get on that same it's fun to have a dance party by yourself but when you've got your friends and then your friends friends and, and then it's got power. every yeah it's the, the the floor shakes and you know the words are a little bit more powerful so if you feel like metaphorically putting your hand down you know, use some of our energy, no simple road energy with each other, with us, and we'll help keep you afloat until this 2020 Korea is over. Mm-hmm. We're going to, I'm going to keep my arm up. I'm going to keep mine up too. I actually, I don't, I made it. You it know, did. guys, I have to say this too. During this time, Aaron was not the healthiest that he ever has been. I think you're the healthiest you've ever been now, but, um, and he was only doing this with me because I asked him to, he had no very faint interest in going to a six hour meditation and 
didn't really care. And so then there's all these, um, you know, yogis, these, it's a room full of yogis, you know, and Sir, these are like dudes in their fucking glistening pecs. I, I just remember too, he was so excited. He's like, I kicked most of their asses. Dude, that's He's like, what there's I, people putting their shades on. I was still it was a long lead in to say that I'm really proud of Aaron. I, I, I didn't want to, I couldn't have been with a better partner in that entire crowd. And there was, there was hundreds, maybe a thousand, but there was hundreds of people. It was like in the UCLA campus and this Poly huge, Pavilion yeah, a huge auditorium or whatever. Yeah. And Aaron killed it. So I was like, I, I don't give a fuck what his pecs look like. I put my fucking <laughs> arm down. I'm just going to think about all the drugs I've done and just go back in my head as far as I can. But that's hide it. In the corner. Another, another is not supposed to be a winner, but I won. But yeah. that's it. See, that's it. Even all through all of that shit, we're digging those deep places that we don't think that we can get to on an ordinary day. And we're finding the strength and pulling it up. Yeah. That's definitely making us stronger. Yes. Yeah. Well, 2020 yeah. is making humanity That's stronger. Right. You it's guys, making me stronger. Me too. Maybe not you. No, me too. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'll agree with you. I, I just Kanye, I, I was, I know, don't just half good, ass agree with me. You feel like you have to. I was like good we before. Asked you to. Fucking Aaron. Oh, Aaron agree? was perfect. Aaron, would you before 20, agree no. With <laughs> I was having a good no time. No amendments man. needed to be made. Nobody, nobody needed to send me to the gym without me asking. All right, I, I was having a fun, fun day and. Twenty twenty rolled in shit all over us. It's okay. You know what? I, We've got the beacon shows I feel that like happen. I, I don't just share that sentiment. I just feel like twenty twenty rolled in and was like, What? You guys are here. I'm here. <laughs> like, this is me. <laughs> I mean, it didn't do shit. It just exists. And we're the ones that are like, twenty twenty is a bitch. Twenty twenty like twenty twenty is like what? I am two I am four numbers. What are you gonna say? Nothing. I can't wait till twenty twenty one. That's what I'm gonna say. Happy New Year. That's okay. <laughs> New Year's never been so exciting till this year. Oh my gosh. That should always get worse. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. I don't know. No. no, no. I mean, it just no. happened. It's like, oh, a new number? No, you oh, know what? Well, We're going to leave on a good note because anything. you guys have come to the end of the show. You heard a really great interview with Rich Simpson about his awesome book, The Conspiracy Diaries. You listen to us rant a little bit about Kriyas and meditations and about being strong and and we appreciate you guys. We appreciate everything you do for us with writing in, um, Patreon, all that stuff. So thanks for the hours of listening. Thanks for um, supporting NSR. And we love you.
dwellers of fear. We've traveled this road before, so we may think. But it's a tad bit of strange similarities that feed an A equal A complex. The fears of your past do not equal the perplexities of the current road. I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. Features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that make titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.